Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 116 of X Lapsed, where uh, I'm sitting in a very, very squeaky chair, and I hope it's not too um, disconcerting or uh, disruptive to the proceedings here. It's a uh, the chair I've been using for a while, but uh, I think it's, uh, no pun intended, I think it's on its last legs here, and it squeaks an awful lot. So hopefully that doesn't come across here, but... Let's talk about the comic we're here to talk about, right? We are still in X of Tens here. We're in Chapter 6. We're going to be taking a look today at Hellions Number 5, which had a December 2020 cover date. The story's called X of Swords, Chapter 6. Written by Zeb Wells, with art by Carmen Carnero. Colors David Curiel, letters da- uh, VCs Ariana Mar. Designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Amaro Bas- Amaro Basso White Sabolski. Boy, I'm batting a thousand today with these names. Uh, cover price, $3.99, and this one went on sale October 14th of 2020. Now we open with the customary quote from Nightcrawler. He seems to have a whole heck of a lot to say about this Hellions book, despite, you know, not really being a part of it. Uh, we've actually been getting a lot of these quote pages of late, uh, and I'm guessing that they're being used to serve as chapter breaks, the same way that they did during Hoxpox. Uh, they're still eating up a page, but at least I can kind of wrap my head around their purpose here, you know, separating the, the disparate chapters and in the inevitable, you know, trade paperback collection, hardcover, whatever. Let's get into comics. And we are at The Hatchery. Now here, Empath is resurrected, right? He's returned to life, and he's too angry at the fact that he was dead in the first place to even celebrate the fact that he's back. He's, he's kind of a dick, in case you didn't notice. Now to the point where the Krakoans aren't even going to bother doing their creepy mutant, mutant, mutant chant for him. And that annoys him. Anyway, he doesn't know how he died, as the last Cerebro backup occurred before the Hellions left for Nebraska. And guess what? That annoys him, too. Top of door roll call. Havoc, the Orphan Maker, Nanny, Wildchild, Psylocke, Empath, Grey Crow, and Mr. Sinister. Double page spread of creds, and uh, I gotta ask, uh, are these pages included in the trade collections? I, I don't know. I mean, it's been a while since I've looked at, like, a current year trade, but I remember seeing collections where credits and stuff would be included between chapters, kind of as they're presented in the single issues, And other times where they would just kind of be distilled into a single credit page at the beginning of the book, I kind of wonder how these are going to wind up. Not that it's important in the slightest, but let's get into the comics here. Anyway, let's check in on the Quiet Council. Uh, Some of our notables are discussing the pressing contest crisis, but Sassy Sinister gets tired of people not paying attention to him, and so he stands up to pontificate. You see, he's got himself an idea... And unconventional though it may be, it's really not a bad one. 
Now, his plan for winning this contest of champions is basically to force the other side to forfeit. Now, you see, if his Hellions were to go to Araco and swipe some of those prophesied blades, well, the bad guys wouldn't be able to compete. See, it's unconventional, but hey, pretty darn good. Best of all, it'll give the Hellion something interesting to do while the rest of these books fall in line, right? So this is something a little different. Now, Xavier is not on board with this, as it would require sending several mutants into Otherworld, and, as we know from X-Factor number 4, a death in Otherworld is akin to a permanent death. Magneto agrees with the professor, but reminds him that the Quiet Council must vote. Now, it's worth noting, there are only nine members present. Because Apocalypse, he is still wounded and recovering. Storm is currently in Wakanda, and Jean is off with Scott and Kid Cable doing that sword thing. Now, Sinister's suggestion passes with a 5-4 to four vote. Exodus declares the passage of the, uh, of the call here and notes that Sinister will be leading his Hellions into Otherworld. This causes Sinister to do a double-take in kind of a what-you-talking-about-Willis in Exodus's direction. Now, before the sassy mister can argue all that much, his accompaniment is put to a vote. Lucky for him, only four of the nine members of the Quiet Council wanted to see him go. Sinister, not knowing when to leave good enough alone, decides to turn to Magneto, who didn't vote for Sinister to go into Otherworld, and mocks his daughter. He mocks Polaris. Um, Wow, talk about not being able to read the room. Uh, Magneto decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to change my vote. And bada-bing, Sinister's going to Otherworld. Five to four. Info page, Dryador. Now, this is the kingdom where the cursed king was overthrown in the over- opening pages of Exosword's creation. We saw this place. If you want to read more about it, you can do so. I don't, so I won't. Back to comics, and Psylocke gives a briefing to the team about their mission, remarking that if this tactic is discovered, well, it wouldn't be a good thing. You see, they'd be cheating in a contest put together by Saturnine, which, as you might imagine, is a gigantic no-no. It would cost them everything, you see. The world, the universe, everything. Havoc then talks a bit about Rockslide's weird resurrection and how otherworld deaths are, you know, sort of kind of permanent. Also, the resurrection protocols have been suspended. But, lucky for them, Empath was among the last few brought back before the egg stopped flowing. Now here is where the scene, things get a little bit heavy here, in a very unexpected and wonderful, very Zebwellsian way. Orphan Maker, right? Orphan Maker, this naive, you know, weirdo, he can't seem to wrap his head around the concept of resurrection, right? He knows Empath's dead, but he was just told Empath isn't dead anymore. What does that mean? Even though there's a new Empath, does that mean that the Empath who died isn't dead anymore? I mean, these are good questions, and I love that they're coming from someone as naive as the Orphan Maker. I mean, these are questions that I think many of us feel like we're too smart to ask. <laughs> or like, if we were to ask them, it would reveal some you know, deep-buried ignorance or something. I mean, we just accept it because we're told to. We know it's a story, and we can trust that everything will make a semblance of sense, at least in a perfect world. But Orphan Maker's in the story. Now, this really shines a light on just how surreal a concept like Resurrection is, even in the fantastical Marvel Universe. Now, Orphan Maker is egged on quite a bit by Grey Crow, who flat out says that Empath is dead, 
and that this new one is just a copy that everyone's going to pretend is really empath because they look alike. I like this. I like this a lot because it does it really does put out a lot of those questions we've been asking here on the show about, you know, the sanctity of life and what's real and what's not and are there souls, you know, all that kind of stuff kind of kind of comes to play here and I I really really like it. It's very very Zeb Wellsian. Uh, you know, we talked about him doing doing wonders with the Madeline question and here asking those questions that uh, maybe people don't want to ask or people are afraid to ask. From here, we jump to Bar Sinister. Now, the Mister has unfrozen one of his clones, a clone of himself, hoping to send it to Otherworld in his stead. And it's a pretty funny scene with a little bit of a twisted who's on first mixed in. They decide to go odds or evens for it, and I suppose it really doesn't matter which one wins. Now, it's worth noting, there's a mention of a black market clone farm underneath Bar Sinister. And the unfrozen clone threatens to spill the beans on the real deal. Huh. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Let's go to an info page, all about Avalon, led by that weirdo Jamie Braddock, who we'll be seeing again pretty soon. You see, Sinister's plan is to head to Avalon, Win the favor of that weirdo Jamie Braddock, pass under Saturnine Starlight Citadel, enter Dryador, and then finally into Araco, where they can start snagging weapons. Next thing we know, hey, we're at the Avalon Gate. <clears throat> the Hellions arrive in King Jamie the Weird's court, which seems a little bit too easy, doesn't it? I thought the Krakoan Gates were at the Excalibur Lighthouse and then at the bottom of, the, of Morgan Le Fay's pool, or whatever. Uh, maybe they just changed that off-panel. I mean, Jamie is in charge now. Maybe he made it a little bit easier to come and go. Anyway, uh, Jamie is being entertained, I think, by a white horse. Uh, Jamie, it's worth noting, is quite enamored by Sinister's cape. And, I mean, who isn't, right? Sinister runs his plan past Jamie, and, well, uh, Jamie knows not to cross Saturnine. So this is going to be an even tougher sell than Sinister already thought. Now, he sweetens the deal by offering Jamie a visit to Bar Sinister, where he will be provided with a black market clone of his choosing. Oh, there's that black market mention again, huh? Hmm. wonder what that's all about. Well, Jamie agrees, but adds that there will also be a trade in play. You see, he'll give the Hellions his new horse, who nobody actually seems to want, in exchange for... Well, you might have guessed it, Mr. Sinister's cape. And so we follow our team as they head through Avalon. Sinister is, of course, capeless and quite disturbed at that fact. Then, Saturnine's white priestesses arrive on the scene, ready to make some arrests. You see, uh, Jamie probably isn't the most trustworthy fellow out there. Sinister turns to Empath and asks him to use his powers to convince the priestesses to let them go. And Empath's all, eh, I'm good. Which makes sense, you know? I mean, he hates everybody on the team. Hell, he seems to, you know, hate everybody and everything, period. So what does he want to help people for? Sinister pleads with Empath to help out and has to wheel and deal a little bit to make it happen. He's like, hey, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for me to get you to do this to them? And, well, Empath, he's got something in mind. He wants permission to make Grey Crow his personal pet. After some hemming and hawing, Sinister agrees, and bada-bing... We've suddenly got a Hellion's take on Nice Guy Guy Gardner from the second year of Justice League International, and it's very, very strange. Empath does the thing, and everything is great. The priestesses even hand over all their horses to help hasten the, the Hellion's trip. 
And we wrap up with our heroes about to head into the horizon. And I tell you what, I'm definitely looking forward to more of this, but unfortunately, we've run out of pages. Next episode, it looks like we're going to be doing that warlock thing here. I think uh, we got some Doug Ramsey on the cover of uh, New Mutants, and uh, I'm guessing we're going to... We're going to figure out what this Warlock Sword's all about. I mean, I'm pretty sure we all know what it's all about, but we'll see it in action next time. But first, let's talk about what we just experienced here with this weird and wonderful book. Main takeaways here. Um, I'll leave the heavier thing for a minute, from for a little while down the line here. We're going to start with Sinister's plan. Sinister's plan to force a forfeit... I mean, it's almost too smart, right? It's just a really good idea. If if we're worried about not being able to beat these champions of Arako here, then why not try to, you know, cut the brakes before they even get in the car, right? It's a really, really good plan here, and I love that it is giving... It's diverging, you know? Uh, when the rest of the books are zigging, we can count on Hellions to kind of zig. And here we have this team... Doing some underhanded stuff to 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 you know to win this uh, this thing before it even happens here. I love the fact that uh, this is taking the story in a different direction than I was expecting it to. I was I'm like I'm looking at the the cast here and I'm like, well, you know, uh, Psylocke has swords. Can she be looking for a sword? And I really didn't want that. I mean, we're going to get enough of that. We've already gotten enough of that, and we're we're bound to be getting more of it because we've only got three of our ten swords to this point. So it was nice to get a story that's not doing that. I'm guessing that the Hellions will not be successful, since I'm almost positive that the second half of this event will be the fights. So uh, stands to reason that they will not be able to uh, find one of the Araka, Araki swords and uh, steal it. But uh, it's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun seeing them try. Let's get into the heavier bit here with Orphan Maker making comments about death and resurrection and what's real and what's not and what things mean because these are things that we've talked about before. And uh, it's just very, very interesting to see it coming from the point of view of a character, especially a naive character like Orphan Maker here who you would expect someone who's naive to kind of accept things on, on face value, right? It's like... It's like, well, he, he was dead, but he's back. Oh, okay. But he's got that, you know, that it's very, very childlike in that he's like, well, explain. How does that work? What does that mean? What, what happened? I saw Empath die. And then it doesn't help things that you have Grey Crow there being like, yeah, we all know that that's not Empath, but we're going to treat it like Empath because it looks like Empath. And I mean, that's, I love it because that's stuff that we've talked about here on the show. We've talked about... You know, the, the fact that these are these people are experiencing death, whether or not they're still on the page or still in the story, they died. These are different characters in a way. And it's just very, very interesting to see that brought to light from a, ca- a character in the book. And hats off to uh, Zeb Wells for doing what he's doing here. I, I mean, I think I mentioned this during our Hellions number one discussion that Wells was a guy that I wanted to hate. I wanted to hate him a lot because I was jealous of him. <laughs> he was, uh... The first time I saw his name was in, like, uh, these wizard contests where I think he sent in, like, home movies and was winning these prizes. And I'm like, ah, screw this guy. Screw this guy. Because I was jealous of him. Here he is just 
kicking ass on this book, and it is just wonderful here. Um, I never, I mean, I feel like I'm a broken record here, and in a lot of ways I am. I would have never accept, expected this amount of depth and thoughtfulness and heart in this book, and boy, it's got it. It's got it. Uh, let's talk about something that was mentioned in this issue twice. The fact that Mr. Sinister has, he's got black market clones under uh, Bar Sinister. I wonder what that's all about. Um, we do know that in one of Mora's um, futures, uh, that he was responsible for the Chimeras. Could this be, you know, um, the alpha or the beta of, uh, of the Chimera program? I think that's going to be an interesting thing here, and I hope that we see more from this. We know that Sinister really doesn't have that much respect for meat, right? For husks, body husks, you know? We saw at the, uh, at the House for Foundlings where Nanny found the, you know, the drums full of bodies. Just bodies that he rejected. You know, failed clones, clones that were just dismissed. And here, he's got a whole... We don't even know what the size or scope of his black market is, but... For all we know, he could have one of everybody. And, I mean, that's that's really interesting. That's really interesting. And then if he starts a mating process, I mean, we could be in Chimera Land pretty quick. So that is really cool that we're getting a mention of that because it's one of the few things that's bringing me back to Hoxpox and being like, oh, okay, that, that, that could be something. Let's talk a little bit about Otherworld. Uh, you guys know I am not a fan of Otherworld here, but... The way this story went, I actually enjoyed our little trip there. Uh, I think it's all about the presentation, right? Um, the other, other world was just a place where our characters were, rather than defining where our characters were, like we have been seeing in, in books like Excalibur, where everything is just like, well, it's Otherworld. Uh, here, it was like, well, he, these are our characters, and they just so happen to be going through Otherworld. They're on a path somewhere, and they, we got to see them react to Otherworld rather than just standing around having Otherworld happen, right? I don't know if that makes any sense. It does to me. It just feels like this was a less severe um, just plunging of Otherworld into our eyeballs here. This was far less severe. While we were in Otherworld, uh, Sinister made an arrangement with Empath, which I don't know that I totally get. I don't know that I totally understand this. He's pleading with Empath to mess with the minds of the priestesses, to let let them to have them let them go, right? To have them leave them alone. Let the Hellions go about their business. Doesn't Mr. Sinister or Psylocke even have powers that might be able to to do that? Like is Empath maybe a little redundant in this case? And if so, why are we, you know, why are we Begging and pleading him to, to do it I think Sinister probably could have done this just fine on his own I don't know At least it gave us a little bit of comedy With a nice guy Grey Crow for a minute Which, I mean, it's funny it, it is, It's low-hanging fruit, to be sure uh, Just like when they turned Guy Gardner into the nice guy Back in the, uh, in the late 80s It's silly, it's basic But uh, I can't lie and say that I didn't think it was It was a little cute you know, uh, having having Grey Crow running ahead of the horses saying, you know, Miguel de Roca is a genius, uh, Empath's a genius. I, it's silly. It's funny. Especially considering that he, you know, knocked two or three issues ago, blew his brains out. It's funny. 
Uh, which brings me to my final point here. This is a funny book. This is a funny book. We talk about it all the time to the point where it's kind of a meme here on the show. It's hard to write comedy, and a lot of our writers can't. <laughs> and uh, Zeb Wells is one that can. Uh, Sinister uh, was a character here. The sassy version of Sinister was one I did not care for when we started Hoxpox back in the long ago. I had reservations about it. I thought it was a little bit reductive. I thought it was like... I thought it was... um, It's hard to really even put into words what I'm trying to say here. We all say... We all know that he looks very clownish. He looks very campy, right? But he's this... No, you know, no pun intended. He's a sinister character, but he looks very campy. He looks very silly. He looks, you know, Frankenfooter from uh, Rocky Horror. And now we have him acting like that. And I usually don't care for that. Uh, one of my favorite DC characters is Vartox, who was I, I usually refer to him as the Superman who failed because he was unable to save his home planet, and his powers were always weird, and he was always haunted by the death of his wife, and he was just a very, very tortured and haunted character. Well, you jump ahead to 2010 or so, and it's like, hey, there's this guy with a hairy chest, he's got a mustache, he's probably a swarthy, you know, 70s porn star. And so they changed the character to being a womanizing, uh, you know, 70s stereotype. I wasn't a fan of that. I liked the stories, the stories were funny, but at the core of the character, it changed it quite a bit, just to reduce a character to what he looks like. And I feel like that's what happened with Sinister here. It's like, it's like, how could we ever take this clown seriously? Let's just camp him up. And I did not like it at first. Here, though, it was funny. I can't lie and say it wasn't funny because him saying, hey, 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 everybody look at me during the uh, Quiet Council session, that was funny. Him doing the, you know, what you talking about, Willis, when, uh, when Exodus was like, well, you'll go with your team, right? I thought that was very funny. Uh, even the little, the little sinister versus the clone, you know, evens and odds match. It was funny. Uh, I think I've about had it with all the cape references, but other than that, uh, really, really funny stuff. Um, cannot say enough good things about this book. This is a solid book. If you're not reading, if you're not reading the X books and you're X curious, try Hellions. You know, try Marauders. Try Hellions. I think you'll be happy in both cases here. These are the, definitely the the dark horse. X-Books here, because I never, ever would have thought that a book called Marauders and a book called Hellions were going to be at the top of my pile, and, and here we are. Really, really good stuff. So, that's about all I got to say about this issue. The X of Tens-ness of it didn't really uh, get in the way of just a really fun and character-driven story. Really, really fun stuff here. But uh, I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did, and I look forward to hearing from all of you. Uh, speaking of which, let's hop into the mailbag here, where we've got two letters about Excalibur number 12. First one's from Damien. He says, I mentioned before that I've read the entire X of Ten's crossover, but skipped a lot of the lead-in. This issue reads better if you have already read X of Ten's, but it still doesn't really work. Basically, it exists to create the external gate, which is a key element of the crossover, and that that's its only purpose. I'll be honest, it never occurred to me that the external gate was made out of actual externals, and that was a bit of a surprise, but this issue is a bit pointless. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, 
Yeah, the uh, the two prelude issues we got, um, the X of Tens preludes, uh, Excalibur and X Men number twelve. Oh boy, not good, not good. Um, really, just they felt so rushed. They felt incomplete. They felt uneven. They felt just like we have to get these out. So here you go. Damien continues. Am I right in thinking that X of Tens was initially meant to happen earlier? I feel like the last few issues of Excalibur are padding to hold off the start of X of Tens. Yes, I think so. I think it almost had to have been, right, with the whole COVID hiatus that we had. I'm thinking that we were supposed to get this a lot sooner. I don't know what the numbers would have been. Um, I'd have to dig around my, my Marvel previews to see if there were if I do have any kind of solicitations for them, as they were originally supposed to come out. But... Uh, Almost had to have been, right? Because you're right um, Very, very padded Very, very... Uh, I'm not even going to say decompressed Just padded Like nothing was happening And we're just... I think I complained in Excalibur number 11 Where it was just like, scenes happened But they didn't end It was like, here's a scene Okay, now here's another scene Well, here's another scene And nothing really nothing really did anything It was just like, okay, here, here are scenes, great uh, Damien continues I know we don't always agree, but I genuinely think you will prefer X of Tens to this issue. It does vary in quality, but it's generally good, and I would rate the Excalibur issues as some of the best. And yeah, so far so good, right? Outside of the hiccup we had with uh, the Ben Percy corner of the books, the uh, Wolverine and X-Force issues, it's been solid. It's been solid. Um, the Marauders issue was good. The uh, This issue here was great. The X-Factor issue was great, and uh, Creation was a, was a pretty good start. The free comic book day one, I don't know if we can count that as a main part of the story, was a little bit of a eh. But everything else outside of the uh, Percy Corner has been, been pretty good. Good to, good to great. Damien continues, you're right about Saturnine looking like Emma Frost. If you think it's bad now, wait until you read Creation. Thank you. Thank you, yes, because, oh man, um, it's so weird. That we have Saturnine in such a prominent role at, the, at a time where Emma Frost really isn't, right? I mean, she's a major part of the Marauders book, but as it pertains to the X of Tens event, she's really just like at the Quiet Council spouting a few words off. You know, she isn't part of it in a really big way. So it's weird that we get someone who looks just like her, who's front and center, and then we have Emma just off to the side. So every time I see Saturnine, I'm thinking, oh, that, what's Emma up to? So uh, it, 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 they look way, way too much alike. Uh, Damien wraps up with, Until I become Captain Britain, make my next last. Well, if there were ever a vote, you'd have mine, for sure. I would vote for you to be Captain Britain any day of the week, twice on Sunday. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on Excalibur number 12. And uh, over here we have Evan, who's also talking about that very issue. He says, regarding Excalibur number 12, it wasn't just you struggling to follow it. I felt like for much of these se this series, there's a story being told that I'm just not getting. Twelve issues in, and I still don't know why it's important to have a Krakoan gateway to Otherworld. And didn't they already have one? And didn't Richter just plant and go through another one? So the externals had to die to make the one on, to make the, one on the other side. I think that makes sense to Teeny Howard and probably some readers, but not to me. And I don't think my lack of reading comprehension, though certainly present at times, is solely to blame. Maybe X of Tens has explained it all by now, and I hope Maggot is involved. 
<laughs> you will always, you will always promote Maggot, and unfortunately, we we've only seen him that one time. In <laughs> oh boy, um, our friend uh, Ed shared that uh, panel with us. What I think it was Excalibur number one. He was there with uh, Marrow, but uh, maybe one of these days, Maggot will be something. But yeah, we do have some uh, a bit of an explanation about the external gate, I guess. Uh, Apocalypse does mention that uh, not only mutants can use it. I don't know what that means. I don't know if we're going to be seeing people come and go. I really don't know. I'm assuming that it'll be explained. Because uh, otherwise, they w- the, you know, then they would have really wasted our time, if not. And I mean, I've said it before, and uh, I apologize for repeating myself so much, but I am not terribly creative. So I repeat myself a lot Um, With the past several issues of Excalibur I really legitimately No hyperbole involved here I thought I skipped an issue And that's not good You know, that's not a good way A good place to be uh, When you're reading, you know, serialized fiction Not knowing where you are And unfortunately that's where we've been in Excalibur I don't know how much we can blame on the creative team Because, like we said There was the COVID hiatus they're trying to get their stuff in, and sometimes, you know, I'm thinking back to um, when Reggie and I were covering the second wave of Young Animal books, and these were four books, three three of them were supposed to be ongoings. We had a Mother Panic book, uh, Shade the Changing Woman, and a Cave Carson book, and they were supposed to be ongoings, but after the second or third issue, they were retroactively named miniseries, and of course, they were always meant to be miniseries. Except if you read the solicits And we were talking about Truncation And letting things go that don't work Right? I mean, when you're presented the opportunity to write a story You want to get your stuff in Right? You do want to get the Your beats in The things you want to say You want to make sure you have the opportunity to say it Regardless of whether or not it actually Organically fits into the story And I mean Sometimes even at the expense of the story And we talked about leaving, letting go of the opus You know, we talked about taking bits and pieces that maybe you don't need to address Remove them because they're inconvenient and complicated And then just tell your story because you only have X amount of pages to do so With Excalibur, I'm feeling a lot of those same sort of truncation pains here It's like, we did have the hiatus we do have this this massive 22-part crossover, uh, you know, right there on the horizon. But there's still bits and pieces of story that they wanted to fit in, and they were going to do it, damn it, whether it worked or not. Which is why we had weird, disjointed-feeling stories here. We had that one story where where Jamie Braddock makes, you know, a whole other, a whole other Betsy. A decent enough issue, but it was pages that, you know, maybe could have been spent another way. Maybe could have been used to... Make issue 12 of Excalibur a little less weird You know, I'm I'm probably just talking out my ass at this point But I feel like there there were some truncation pains And, you know, at the end of the day, there's really no one to blame Because, you know, life happened Life sure happened last year So things uh, things got wonky And we do the best we can to uh, make what the, uh, you know To, to scoop the pieces up and, and put them in some sort of an order that Makes sense So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on that And for making me feel not so alone in, in not being able to follow some of these things, Evan So thank you so much And that is where we'll leave the mailbag for today If anybody would like to reach out and be part of the mailbag Please 
please feel free to do so. I I, uh, I encourage it. I encourage it because I am lonely and I, I like uh, I like to talk to you guys. So you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or you can shoot me an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat with us on Facebook. 90s X-Men is our little group. And you can listen to a whole lot of noise at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that'll do it for today. I'm trying to do the math in my head here. I think we're now three-elevenths through uh, X of Tens here. I mean, that's... That's something, isn't it? Is that even a fraction? Maybe. I don't know. I think we're three elevenths of the way through. So uh, we'll leave it there. I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me today. And till next time, as always, I'll talk to you all again real soon. See ya. See ya.